records go out to all parts of the world to bring joy and pleasure to millions of music lovers, to give them permanently the music they want when they want it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. I'm Austin Knight, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Halsbarby. Hey, Austin, and hello to everyone listening. Uh, today, we're going to be bringing on a fellow Brit to the podcast, and probably more interestingly, someone that has a very different story from a lot of people that certainly we've previously spoken to in the crypto space. That's right. We're speaking to Benji Rogers. He's a musician and a technologist, now based out of New York, and he co-founded the Dot Blockchain Media Project. We'll let Benji give more details on his background, but it's safe to say that he has an insider perspective on how blockchain technology could really revolutionize the music industry. Yeah, I am really looking forward to this one. We've wanted to have someone who has an inside view into the music industry in particular on the podcast for a while. Uh, I listened to Benji do a talk relatively early on in this year and was blown away by some of the things he was saying. So I'm really excited for this. But just before we get started, we would love to ask a super quick favor from you as a listener. If you haven't already, it would help us out a ton if you left us a rating and a written review in your favorite podcasting platform. It will take you less than two minutes. You could do it at the end of this episode, but it would mean a whole lot to us. Better yet, why not download the free CastBox app, search for the Decrypting Crypto Podcast, and then click the subscribe button. And if you're feeling particularly generous, why not also leave us a review there? We will be forever in your debt until you decide to call upon that debt. <laughs> also, don't forget that you can get in touch with us to ask us any questions you have or even to make suggestions for guests that you'd like to see come on the show. Our inboxes are always open. All you need to do is drop us an email at podcast at thecoinoffering.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Yeah, do not be shy. We've started to get a bunch of emails through now and we always respond to them in a timely manner. Love getting feedback in the show. It helps us decide what we think we should be focusing on in terms of a topic next, what some of the new guests we need to bring in and ultimately make it better for you as a listener. All right, let's get this thing going. Benji, welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the crypto space. Well, do you want the 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 short or the long answer? <laughs> the um, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> give the short and we can extend outwards if need be. But I spent most of my life playing music. I was I was remarking to a friend of mine, my co-founder actually in the blockchain project today. He said, why aren't you comfortable with Microsoft Excel? And I said, because for most of my life, up until I was 34 years old, I could tell you everything you need to know, to know about guitars cocktails, keyboards, vocal mics, analog recording. I'd never opened up an Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet or anything. So it was all learned in, when I went into music tech. But basically, I've been a musician most of my life. I'm the son of three managers in the music industry, mother, father, stepfather. And um, I built a platform called Pledge Music about 10 years ago, which was to help artists get funding to make albums, kind of like a Kickstarter book for music. And um, that did really well. And about four years ago, maybe four and a half years ago, as I was at Pledge, I read about Bitcoin, you know, Satoshi's white paper, et cetera. And my brain just exploded with applications that there could potentially be for music. And so I left my old company, handed it off to another CEO, and I basically published a blog on dot blockchain media. 
And uh, it went, I guess, sort of in, in a miniature way viral. But what the interesting side effect was that it was basically proposing what you could do in a decentralized system to fix the problems that the centralized systems had created. Yeah, so that's how I got into it. I'm not really in the crypto space. I'm in the blockchain space because the blockchain that we've decided to use does not use crypto. I am, however, massively into crypto. I've invested in crypto. I, I love platforms like Ethereum, you name it. But I would say that for this project as well, I've spent a lot of time and I think gained a lot of traction in an incumbent industry by not being too crypto, because a lot of the proposals, well-meaning though they were in early days, were sort of confusing to people. So I called my last talk a skeptic's guide to believing in blockchain for media, because I'm skeptical of a lot of the 80 to 90% bullshit out there. I'm obsessed by the 10% to 1% of extraordinary projects. And I think that, that, that all of the healthy signs of a market kind of emerging are there. So long story short, I basically became obsessed with the idea of decentralization. I became obsessed with what the, the kind of base layer protocols could do. And I became obsessed with this question of, you know, the music industry is one that I love dearly, even though, even though some days I don't. I became obsessed with this idea of how could this actually help artists day to day? And um, yeah, so, so just had to go in. And um, we've been building software for the last three years. We've released one of our .blockchain-backed files into all 250 streaming services. And you can call up all of the writers and owners' information from an iOS device, from the audio fingerprint of a song playing in Spotify or YouTube or Apple or Google. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's been a, been quite, quite, quite a couple of years. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that is excellent. So is that how you would describe what blockchain media does? Or could you give us just sort of a brief overview of sure. what you do and how you, how you came into existence there? Yeah, sure. So, so basically when I was at, when I was at Pledge, I, my, my previous company, artists would release albums and they would release singles and, and, you know, mashups, et cetera. But they released them all onto this format called a dot wave file, which I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with. And I looked at the dot wave file with dot AIFF or dot flack, et cetera. And I said, there's nothing good about this. It was designed, you know, early, it's actually a 27-year-old file format, right? MP3 is 24 years old. So George Bush the first was president when we had the dot .wave file was introduced, right? And what was amazing was one of the interns at our place was like, hey, the artist has uploaded their WAV file to send to their fans and they've spelt their name wrong in it. So I was like, okay, no problem. Just go, you know, uh, command I on, your, on the Mac and just change the metadata. And the intern looked at me like, you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, it's just a WAV file. And then it occurred to me, wait a second, I'm altering the genetic identity, if you will, of what that artist's creative work is. Now they've spelled their name wrong, so I'm helping them, but what if I were not? And so effectively, all of the existing media companies, whether it be Spotify, Google, Apple, et cetera, all run on pretty archaic, non-version tracked file formats, most of which are over a quarter of a century old. Flack being the, the, the new kid on the block at a, at a shiny 16 years old, right? So we don't use phones or iPads or you know <laughs> computer technology generally from 16 years ago, but with music and media, we go back in time. So what dot .blockchain was attempt to do was to say, okay, it'll be really hard to create a new file format, but what if we created kind of like a virtual shipping container? 
And into that, you could put various WAV files, MP3s, session files, sort of all bundled up and use the blockchain to track which version came first, which came second, which came third, but then secondarily use that to synchronize the metadata. So effectively, if I went command I and tried to alter the metadata, that would be a proposed amendment to the blockchain, not just a fait accompli within the file itself. So what we're effectively doing is, is putting the versions of, the, of this, the music and media, the licenses around them, the metadata, all into this kind of virtual shipping container. The files themselves live in multiple distributed locations, and the blockchain is the organizer of all the data. So in theory, what it means is, instead of you know calling up Warner Brothers or Sony Universal and saying, hey, I want to license this song for 500 bucks for my you know, movie, you would message the song. And the song will be the point at which it will split out the messaging to the correct people. And you can do contracts, negotiation, chat, all that stuff from within the media file. So it's basically creating a protocol out of media, as opposed to using the existing protocols to build applications that run old school file formats for media. So long story short, artists, songwriters, and creators can digitally encode their rights information into the media itself. We are recording this from three separate locations. And right now it'll come up on my end as an MP4, your guys maybe an MP3, someone else is a, is a wave. Now those three are versions of the same thing, but there's nowhere to track them. Whereas if this were in the dot blockchain world, we would drop them into this into a piece of software. It would say, right, the three of us are connected to them. It would become a multi-party asset. And now we can track wherever that goes. We can push it all over the web. And if payments do, if licenses are due, et cetera, the three of us are kind of forever linked in that shipping container. And then you can park that shipping container up to the, you know, the Googles, Spotify's, Apples, et cetera. And then they most importantly know exactly who's who and how to contact and pay everyone involved. So it's, a, it's an audacious project. Yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds like you're trying to tackle a whole lot of different things in an industry where things from a technological point of view haven't changed a whole lot. I, I have a couple of questions on some of the things that you mentioned. Of course, dive in. Uh, so you mentioned there around the file. So a lot of the data itself being stored on the blockchain in kind of this shipping container metaphor that you used mm. and then the files themselves being stored in a decentralized way off of the the blockchain i'm yep. assuming is yep. this kind of like a decentralized cloud storage and then it's referenced to and also alongside that is there a specific blockchain that you're that you're sure. using for this something that you've built yeah. yourselves or? yeah no no yes so so we've used intel's hyperledger sawtooth blockchain which is their contribution to the linux foundation's you know hyperledger project and there's a, there's, a, there's a few reasons for that. The first of which is its consensus mechanism runs on what they call proof of elapsed time. So there's no kind of mining coins, et cetera, involved in it. And the reason being that we didn't see a way to get an incumbent industry to start using coins and tokens in the way that is natural to people who are into crypto. And that was the intention. When I say decentralized, what I actually mean is if... I have a local version of the .bc on my phone, and you have a local version of the .bc on your computer. We may choose to store it in Spotify or Apple or Google. So it will live in many, many different locations. And depending on what permission you have to that asset, 
you can reify or make whole on your computer all the different versions that live out there. So in theory, there will actually be multiple locations that this lives in multiple clouds. And that's the other reason that we chose Intel's blockchain. So right now it, it's living in Amazon and something else in Canada because one of our partners is out there. But the thinking on it is not to kind of you know, reinvent and build our own system. It was to use the best of others. And what I think we'll do in the future is we'll probably use multiple blockchains for different pieces of the pie. Difficult to synchronize, but the reason being that Intel's Hyperledger Sawtooth is a great kind of global state view of all the songs, but I don't know that you want to put the contracts between the parties on that, right? Because there's certain things that you want on, certain things you want off, and it's a great way to track amendments. In, in our methodology, we refer to it as, we use the blockchain as the clerk of the court, but not the judge. It, it records this person who has this identity and owns this, made this statement, this claim, if you will, this person accepted, this person made the claim, on and on. So it's really a, a chain of claims and corroborations in our conception of it. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, that, that definitely did. As someone who is, is not as familiar with the inner workings of the music industry itself, what, what would you say if you had to summarize the core problems that the solution you're just talking about actually is, is solving? Sure. Yeah. So Beyonce's last album had 110 separate contributors. And each one of those has to be paid a fraction of a micro penny every time the song is streamed or played in a commercial way. If it's played on a television show or a webcast with video, it has a separate license attached. And so what happens is there's nowhere to collect all that data. So if a song's played in a cafe, in France, the French Performing Rights Organization has to figure out who in that song is owed money. And today it's done on spreadsheets, basically manually. So what happens is you get these huge black boxes of money not going to the independent artists. And as someone who spent a lot of my life trying to pay the independent artists, it's not easy. It's not going well. And I was amazed at the fact that most of the organizations I dealt with did not check or audit my old platform to be like, hey, you know, just wanted to make sure that all the songwriters are getting paid. And then when I did say, hey, you know, listen, we should probably pay these songwriters. You know, how can we send you the information? The answer was, well, no, just just pay us a bunch of money and, and we'll sort that out. <laughs> and I said, but. If you don't know what we're, if you don't know who they are, how will you figure it out? Oh, we've got some magic stuff that does that. I'm like, sounds legit. I don't like this at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I'm also an investor and an advisor to multiple other companies and technologies. And so I've seen that, that you know, with enough data and processing power, you can solve these problems. It is data after all. But there's a, there's a famous saying that when it comes to technology, the music industry has historically finished just ahead of the Amish. Um, and, I, and I've often said that that's an insult to the Amish because the Amish don't deny technology that works. They just choose not to use it. Right? You know? um, but, but I think ultimately it, it's this, that it's very difficult to do the right thing with music if you're in the space of, you know, kind of digital platforms because the music industry has not made it easy. They've actually made it difficult. And what I believe is, is that every artist, songwriter, DJ, mashup artist, whatever it is, should have the maximum ability to commit commerce with whomever they want. And if we rely on 3,000, 4,000 non-interoperable, you know, 
1990s built databases to, to coordinate everybody, it'll never work. But if we treat the song as the coordinating agent and we use a blockchain to track amendments over time, then if you want to use the song in some way, you can ask the song. Literally, you can type, you know, imagine, you know, sort of what, what, what you know, TCP IP is for the web, what SMTP is for email, this is for media. So you can build applications on top of these song files. You can put smart contracts into them. You can do all those types of things, but you can't do that with the existing wave files. And what kills me about a lot of the blockchain efforts to date is they've all assumed, well, we're just going to build Spotify, but on the blockchain or YouTube, but on the blockchain. Mm. And I said, okay, well, so how do you solve the $100 million content ID system that Google had to build to make sure that people weren't putting, you know, Rihanna songs over beheading videos, you know, like it's just difficult to figure that out. And they're like, no, no, but people just sign up to say that they have the rights. Okay, but if they don't have the rights, and the interesting thing about the music industry, remember, is, is that if Beyonce is the artist, 109 other people also have to get paid. So you can't just skate the problem down the line and say, but we've built a beautiful interface that pays out in Ether coins or music coins, whatever they are. Mm that will pay the right people. You know, paying the right people is the problem because you don't know who they are. And worse than that, they have no way to tell you who they are. And just to give you some context for the music industry, Spotify has been sued for a total of, I think, $3 billion. It's settled the first 1.5 billion, and it's got another one outstanding right now over not paying the right people. So just, you know, whacking up something on the Ethereum blockchain and saying, well, just enter your Ethereum address here and a smart contract will pay the right people. It's, it's not <laughs> a logical way to look at the problem. And I think the other thing that's interesting, too, is there's this misconception that artists are paid unfairly by Spotify or, or Google or, or you know, other platforms. That's actually incorrect. They are paid 70% of what comes out of the platform but they're not obliged to be in the platform if that is an unacceptable deal. If 30% to run the content ID system, to host the files, to manage the subscriptions, to take care of you know, illicit content, to pay out micropayments, to all, if all that stuff is not worth 30% to you, then build your own platform. But people don't need more ways to experience music. They need kind of a, more reasons and a deeper connection. And my thought is that if the artists can digitally encode their rights information into their media, then they can set licensing rules, contract rules. They can give it away for free. They can you know, give it away for donations to you know, animal shelters, whatever they want. It's theirs. But today, they are subject to the rules that are put in place by basically three companies and one organization. And I don't think it's correct. So to give them a modicum of a chance, we basically said, well, you know, if you want to build your own system on top of your own media and deploy it in your own way, this is a way to give a sort of a dignity to that ownership, which today it just doesn't have. And just a follow-up question related to that. I, I find your, your opinion quite interesting and something that I don't hear a lot from people that are especially focused on like the blockchain side of things in that the music industry is the that you believe artists are paid fairly and mm. the comment that you made around they're not obliged to be on the platforms they they could go and build their own i think there's there's also an argument there of like chicken and egg right so mm. these platforms like spotify hold the audience and it's not 
always that simple for someone to go and either build their own for the reasons that you kind of mentioned uh, in the same sense as moving yeah. your e-commerce store out of Amazon can sometimes be a, a death wish. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and expanding on that a little bit. I think I, I, I shortened that more than I should have. What, what I mean to say is this, right? I, I built a crowdfunding platform for music and we took 15%. And we could, if we'd use a lot more automation and offered a lot less service, have charged less, but we should have charged more. And the reason is actually building crowdfunding campaigns is quite hard, right? So making sure that the person has what they are offering, that they are who they say they are, making sure that their songs go into the charts, making sure that they can have a clue of what, how to ship t-shirts, what the cost of those, all those things. Other platforms skated away for 5%. We charged 15 and it was the minimum we could do to cover everything because effectively what we saw was just giving artists a tool, but not the ability to actually use that tool was kind of a fool's errand because 99% of artists are really good at being artists and not really good at being e-commerce marketeers or figuring out how to do Facebook ads. And I think that what happens is there's this idea that the services shouldn't charge anything. They should just kind of be there. And there is an argument you could say that Spotify is unfair to charge 30% or that Apple is unfair to charge 30%. But having run one of these businesses and understanding what scale is once you breach sort of, you know, a few million people, they're really hard to manage. They're not, it's not just simple. <laughs> you don't just turn on more servers one day. You got to figure out a huge amount of, you know, caching of pages. And, and so when I've spoken to people in the crypto space, they begin from this concept of artists are not paid fairly. Now, Spotify's job is not to pay artists more. Spotify's job is to sell subscriptions to its users for financial gain. That is its one and only job. And it will do anything in its power and spend any amount of money to make sure that it has an engine that does that. In the same way that YouTube's job is to sell ads to people and Facebook's job is to sell ads to people and on and on. And those are not those are not often aligned with what artists need to survive. Bandcamp is one of the most brilliant direct-to-fan platforms out there. They charge a fair amount of money. You can do basically whatever you want with your page. They pay on time, and they've been paying hundreds of millions of dollars to artists. But the problem is, is that there's this thought that, as you, as you pointed out, not to beat you up on it, but that while well, the audience is on Spotify, no, an audience is on Spotify. Your audience is your fans. And if you cultivate them in the same way that people like Ryan Leslie at Superphone does or Sefi at, at EscapeX does, which are two um, direct-to-fan-facing apps, you can actually make 10 times the money than you can on these massive siren server platforms if you choose to go a different route. So, you know, an artist that, that complains they're not making enough money on streaming is saying, literally, when I send all of my fans to Spotify, the most they can do is pay Spotify $10 a month, of which I get a prorated share back. But if I send them to Bandcamp, I might get 85 cents on every dollar they spend, which is better. Now, the answer is, is, that, is, is that if you can have, you know, if you look at Ryan Leslie, for example, he makes $2 million per album cycle from 15,000 fans using SMS. And he's and he barely uses Spotify, Apple, etc. Because to him, he's in the fan business, not in the platform building business. 
And so if you said to him, well, shouldn't you be on playlists and on and on? He said, no, because I don't make any money that way. If I go to my fans directly, I sell to them directly. I have a direct relationship with them. I make more money. And at Pledge Music, my last company, the average user spent $55 per transaction for an album that in the end they could get for free. So we must never confuse music being sold badly or offered through a third-party platform that offers no way to incentivize or pay the artist beyond just the subscription fee. We shouldn't confuse those two things with people not wanting to pay for and support artists because they do want to pay for and support artists. The, the, the artist just has to understand that if you send me to Spotify, all I can do is give Spotify money. If you send me to YouTube, all I can do is watch ads. I can't do anything for you as an artist. If you go to Patreon, Pledge Music, Bandcamp, Superphone, or, or EscapeX, you can do all these things. And what blockchainers need to understand is just building a token economics doesn't necessarily mean that fans will understand this. The fans are barely getting their heads around streaming. That's, this is still new. And, and just, just think about this for a second. How many, you know, Spotify raised, what, four or five billion dollars to reach a hundred million users. And pay off a chunk of those lawsuits, right? <laughs> exactly. And when I was a kid, think about this, right? I would spend every penny I had on CDs and vinyl before that and cassettes, right? I just, I loved it. If you'd said to me back then, for 10 bucks a month, you can listen to unlimited music in CD quality, I would have... <laughs> Shit myself. I was like, are you kidding me? Oh my God, now I can spend the rest of this on, on alcohol. But it's an interesting dynamic. We've offered the greatest thing in the world. We have an addictive product in music, and yet artists are not getting paid for it. And I think, so I think that there will be some great experiments with coins. I'm not saying that they won't work, but I'm saying that they're not actually tackling a problem that exists. To me, the larger scaling issue is, is that we need to modernize the file format for media then we can modernize the contracting and licensing layer on top. And then we can build extraordinary crypto platforms that will be able to create all kinds of derivative markets and, and you name it on top. But until we solve the basic building block of what a piece of media is, then what it will mean is every blockchain company will say, we're the new Spotify, but on the blockchain, artists keeps 99% of their revenue paid out in this cryptocurrency. And then when I go to download the song or listen to it, it's, you guessed it, a WAV file. So I go Command-I, alter the metadata, re-upload it into the system. Now it's my WAV file, and I can go make money off of it. So if, we, if the end result of a, of a crypto platform is to offer a WAV file, I think we're dead, right? And then the, the larger point, just to kind of you know, push through, is you know, news organizations, who anyone that records media has no version history of it. And in a world in which we can be accused of fake news and all this other stuff, we're going to need to track version and authenticate media because we simply won't know where it's coming from. And the nightmare scenario that I've written about on my Medium blog was, was, was imagine if a speech by a politician is hijacked before it's distributed and altered by a few words. All of a sudden, what you've got is you don't know which one is the correct one. 51% is 50%, 1,000 is 100, et cetera. And now you, you, you legitimately would have no provenance trail of the media itself. And, you would, and by the time that's discovered, cat's already out of the bag. 
So the reason it's not just dot blockchain music, dot blockchain media is because I think we have to solve the provenance of media. And there's no better technology I've ever seen than blockchains and distributed ledgers to do that. So building off of this, I think that you have such a grand vision for how dot blockchain media can change, not just the way that music is distributed, but for that, for that matter, how media is distributed. What do you feel are going to be some of the biggest hurdles to adoption for blockchain technology within the music and media space? Sure. No, and, and that is definitely the great question. So I'll give you my, my answer with tact and then my answer with hubris. So with tact, it's this, that basically you have to show the media industry that you understand it. And our team has built pieces of the digital supply chain, understands it at, a, at, a, at an in-depth level. So we know effectively how the sausage is made. And the second thing is we've gone into the music industry and our first clients are incumbent music industry companies who paid us to build them software to deliver this as a solution. So the biggest thing was explained to them that we were not an ICO, that we were not a get rich quick by making coin play. And, and so a lot of what we spent our time doing was explaining to people that what we were not. And then the second thing was we went in with, so that, 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 that's, that's the tactful part, which is this is how we are the medicine. And the music industry has got a very, very hardened and resilient immune system. So everything's a virus. And we convinced enough people that, hey, we're not a virus. We're actually here to help. And then the second thing that we did was uh, used what to me is the most powerful piece of any blockchain technology at all, which is the immutability. So when I went into these major labels and major publishers, I never said, do you want to do this? I said, when this occurs, how do you want to you know, receive and work with your information? And they were like, well, Benji, we don't want to be in your blockchain. And I said, well, that's kind of a kicker. It's not my blockchain. But they said, okay, well, if you put any of our information in, we'll make you take it out. And I said, well, A, I can't because it's not me putting any information in. And B, any information that goes into the system is there forever until there's an append you know, on top of it uh, so that you can see kind of the provenance trail. They said, Benji, look, if one of our sister labels or sister publishers or performance organization puts information into the blockchain and tags us in it, we will make them remove it. And I said, you're not getting it. They can't. It's forever. And that kind of sunk in. So we can't remove it. You can't remove it and they can't remove it. What happens if it's wrong? And I said, that's the beautiful part. The amendment process creates the provenance trail that makes it correct. And that was the key, was that you can't get everyone around the same table to agree to the same database architecture. It was tried, they spent $8 million in three years and it failed miserably. And the reason it failed was because people did not have to do it. But in the .bc architecture, they have to do it. Because if I say something about a song, I'm either correct or incorrect, right? And we've built a system of, you know, kind of levies and architecture that makes sure that there's an identity system, et cetera. But the key is this, a song is either owned by this person or it is not. The percentage can be argued over, but it can be fixed. So when we showed them that, they suddenly started to see the benefits. And the first few conversations were pretty rocky, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, but after a while, they now, so each major label and each major organization within the music industry now has a team dedicated to looking at blockchain technologies. And I've introduced them to all the other players in the space, even ones that kind of, you know, semi-compete with us, 
because I basically said, you need to look at all of them to understand this. You need to be experimenting in this because if you're not, you're going to get hit by the wave versus writing it. And you should write it because you don't have to love major labels, but they serve a function. But the key to me was we had to make this free. So an open protocol so that anyone could use it, no barrier to entry. We had to use a huge amount of machine learning to make sure that the metadata is correct on the way in. And then we had to prove that it would work. So by releasing a song into the existing supply chain and showing that you can call the blockchain up from an iOS device, everyone's eyes went, wait a minute, that's the blockchain? I'm like, yeah, that's that's it right there on the phone. They're like, but but how's that working? You're like, well, it listened to the song, it found the blockchain address in the audio fingerprint. And this is the version, this is the time it was uploaded, these are the participants, on and on. And they went, oh, well, that's actually pretty cool. So <laughs> fingers crossed. It'll be that easy all the way through. <laughs> what could go wrong, right? I'm sure it'll be super easy the whole way through. Zero opposition to any of this. It's just going to be straight up adoption. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, and in, totally. And on the note of opposition, do, do you anticipate that long-term, right, the, the music industry is full of big players, right? And you yep. mentioned near the start, okay, there's a bunch of people here that are in the space, like, that are trying to do the decentralized version of Spotify, trying to do the decentralized versions of YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like you're, you're clearly trying to do something different to that. But at the same time, do you think here a lot of the, the big players in the, the industry are going to actually embrace blockchain or are, are you going to see the likes of the, the record labels and also the the platforms out there, the distribution platforms like Spotify, et cetera, fighting this or embracing it? I think I think everyone will embrace it in the end. And one of the things I'd say is, is that when I talk to the to the people that are that are doing the blockchain based, uh, you know, Spotify on the blockchain, et cetera, when it's explained to them that, that the reason it won't work for them is because they don't have the identity and authority mechanism sorted, but we do. Then, then the first thing they say is, well, would you hurry up and finish so we can use it? Because in theory, we the, the .bc protocol would empower the creation of Spotify or YouTube on the blockchain. It would, it would empower that because all it's really doing is saying, this is the correct audio file. This is the 17th remix of the fifth cover of the ninth mashup of this thing. Because once you know who it is, you can commit commerce. From YouTube's perspective, YouTube monetizes a fraction of its content because it doesn't have the rights to do otherwise. But imagine if every song came with those rights built in, machine readable, ready to go. Um, that's what blockchains can enable. And you can't enable it in a centralized system because it means people can walk away. So if Universal or Warners or Sony decides not to put their content in, how does it stand up? Because you're just missing, you know, thirty percent of the of the market. But if they're compelled in, that was the hubris bit, right? Because one of them tags the other, or because I'm a songwriter and I tag ASCAP as my performing rights organization, then you're entangling people in the, almost the same way that Facebook scaled, right? By basically saying, you know, so and so posted a picture of you. Well, I kind of have to look at <laughs> look at that picture, right? And then, and then you, you can ignore it for a little bit. Now imagine that that's your IP and someone's claiming I own 76% of your IP. Well, no, you don't. Well, okay, log in and let's 
argue about it. So, so that's really what it comes down to is, is we have to just recontextualize what the problems are. Spotify does a really good job at delivering an experience for the most people. Bandcamp does an extraordinary job of delivering an experience for a lot of people and really making them happy, right? Because it's paying artists really well. So I think I think that there's no, we don't need to build those types of things. But what I do see huge benefits in is the tracking of micropayments down to the exact decimal point. I don't yet see why artists would need tokens over currency because until gas stations take currency, getting putting gas in the van is going to be what you need to do, right? So, um, so you can buy guitars with, with Bitcoins. I think you need that. But at the same time, all of this experiment in service to the artist doing well, I have nothing but admiration for. And I think we should carry on and not stop. But we do need to be very cautious about promising artists that our coin or, or ICO platform is going to save them because... It's not going to do that. It's not going to make more people want to go to their shows, listen to their music. They don't need more ways to experience music. We need reasons and, and great music. And I think that's a hard thing for some people to swallow. Something that I just want to call out here that I've, I've noticed as a really interesting pattern is uh, how in this sort of very cutting edge space, uh, we're already having divergences where we've got, you know, like you, you had mentioned, oh, it wouldn't make sense to build a solution on Ethereum or it wouldn't make sense to build a token. It's interesting to see how the space, it's breaking itself off in different directions. And we're starting to segment solutions, even within this one space. Yeah. Yeah. But just to clarify, I'm not saying it wouldn't make sense to build something on Ethereum. I'm saying it wouldn't make sense to build something on Ethereum in the absence of a, a media format that can speak to and coordinate with the blockchain, right? Like, think of it. It's like taking the most advanced, cutting-edge, extraordinary technology being coded by some of the smartest people on Earth and saying, but wait, go back 27 years when you actually get to the music itself, right? It, they're just incompatible because Ethereum to scale and machine learning to scale requires machine learning, machine-readable stuff. A wave file an AIFF, an MP3, a FLAC file are not that. So in the absence of creating a brand new format, which is my initial idea, we have to think outside the box. So for Ujo or for Blocker or other platforms that are building on the Ethereum blockchain, these apps, they're going to need a protocol, a base layer upon which the actual media will run because it's just not going to work. And I've bought songs from the Ethereum uh, system. So it's, I bought I bought a song, an album from Ujo, right? I bought it using Chrome on my MacBook. Uh, I installed MetaMask. I loaded a wallet. I put ten dollars in Ether. Bought the album, and it spat out a wave file. Hmm. Okay, now Command I alter the wave file. Where are we now? There's a version of that album in my hard drive, and now in Apple with the same data. I'm not beating up on them here. I'm just saying. I'm saying it's great that they're doing it. But I asked the question, did anyone wake up yesterday and say, I wish there was a way to buy digital files from a laptop in cryptocurrency? I don't know that that was a problem anyone woke up with, you know, because I've got Spotify, right? And so if you're looking at, at ways to pay people better, I would say that there are actually different ways of looking at that. 
And I'm not saying that any of things are bad. And I think that Ujo and the team are doing extraordinary work and they're really pushing at hard problems and they need to carry on. But they've got to make sure, as does anyone in technology, that you're solving a problem that really exists. Doing crowdfunding for free is wonderful in concept, right? Actually getting CDs and stuff that people have bought into boxes in the world is really hard. And if your currency has has lost 40% overnight and suddenly you haven't got enough money to make CDs, whose problem is that? You know, because I've seen this, right? So it's one of those things where like, I just want to get artists paid and promising them that this new Spotify or YouTube on the blockchain is going to do that. It's just not true until it is. And then when it is, I will eat my words (laughs) (laughs) gladly. Well, Benji, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking with you. Before we finish up, however, why don't you let our listeners know where they can hear more from you and the projects that you're working on? Sure. The website is uh, just dot blockchain media, D-O-T-B-L-O-C-K-C-H-A-I-N media.com. Um, I'm Benji K. Rogers on Twitter, B-E-N-J-I-K Rogers on Twitter. And we publish a, a lot on Medium. So a lot of the, the projects have actually been iterated and ideated on Medium. So you can kind of read the history of the first article that went viral down to the, uh, the latest ones, which are, are, are viral to the hundred or so people that really love them. We also have a public Slack channel. You can ask questions there. And this is a collaborative effort. So it's a public benefit corporation. It's not a traditional sort of means of doing it. But yeah, we need all, all the uh, all the oars in the water rowing. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Benji. This has been awesome. It's been great. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your appreciation to me and Austin, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on the CastBox app or on your favorite podcasting platform. We'd really appreciate it. If you haven't already, make sure you download the free CastBox app where you'll find us as one of the CastBox original shows. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing, and you can finally follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering. Lastly, but not leastly, you can ask us any questions you have by emailing us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. The Decrypting Crypto Podcast is a CastBox original show, and its content should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.